The Craft Food Classroom is a comprehensive and in-depth five-part online, go-at-your-own-pace course that will provide everything needed to build a thriving food business. Each module includes a video, presentation, workbook, and quiz. This course teaches students exactly what they need to know to succeed in the craft food industry and avoid pitfalls and costly mistakes. Learn more at thecentral.kitchen/classroom and you can use podcast21 at checkout for 10% off anytime. Again, that code is podcast21 for 10% off. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. In this episode of the Physical Product Movement Podcast, I have the opportunity to speak with Jordan Bass, co-founder and CEO of Hopwater, a super cool beverage brand that is a non-alcoholic alternative to beer. Jordan covers his journey from VC to moving to an operator role in a fast-growing business to gain more experience. He talks about the personal experiences that led him to team up with his buddy to start Hopwater. Uh, and how he analyzed and researched the market and which market signals he was looking for in order to gain conviction about his business idea. He also talks about the importance of staying true to your intuition and your life experiences while looking into the data and gathering data. Jordan also explains the three different types of customers that any CPG brand needs to keep in mind, the distributor, the retailer, and the consumer. This was a packed interview with huge learnings for anyone running a CPG brand. Enjoy. Yeah. Hey, Jordan. Hey, appreciate you jumping on the podcast today. Uh, thanks for uh, taking the time. How you doing, man? Hey, Ken. Great. Appreciate you having me. All right. So you're you're calling in from what? From Los uh, Los Angeles? Is that what you said? Yeah, correct. Yeah, I'm uh, Los Angeles based. Uh, enjoying the nice sunny summer here. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to a little bit cooler weather this this you know this fall. It seems like it's been a really hot summer. It has been a, a warm summer, uh, yeah. but I, I can't complain too much. <laughs> well, you live in California, you cannot <laughs> complain about the weather. You know? <laughs> no, maybe maybe no. the traffic a little bit, but, but yeah, I've got lots of other things I can complain about: housing prices, traffic, smog, but but certainly not the weather. Yeah, yeah. So, do you uh, do you get to the beach and you know do you surf and stuff or? or what I do you get to the I do get to the beach um, a decent amount. Um, you know, as we were kind of just chatting before the show, I, I just had uh, a two two kids in the last two years, and obviously started a business. So, uh, I'd say the number of days that I spent at the beach this year versus in years past is is vastly diminished. But uh, I do get to the beach. Take my my oldest daughter; she loves it. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's nice having access to that. I mean, I, I think it's actually one of the best things about Los Angeles is that we've got access to the beach. We've got access to some pretty incredible mountains within, within, you know, a few hours driving distance, uh, for skiing, snowboarding, uh, got some incredible backpacking, rock climbing, like all within, you know, a couple hours kind of driving distance. So I'm, I'm a big outdoors guy. So that's, uh, uh, keeps me planted here. 
Well, cool. Well, cool. Well, why don't we uh, just jump right into it, kind of the way that we always do. Um, do you have a quote in, in mind that, you know, motivates you, inspires you, gets you out of bed in the morning? Do you have something that you could share? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's one of my favorite quotes. I've, I've you know, kind of had it, uh, you know, on my desk uh, or, or in my phone. I've got kind of a list of quotes for, for a number of years. And uh, it is that man cannot discover new oceans unless he has the courage to lose sight of the shore. Uh, it's by Andre Guide, and I, I, there's some controversy whether it's attributed to him or not. Uh, but but the quote, you know, I think remains, you know, really insightful either way, uh, especially for entrepreneurs. And you know, for me, and, and I think a lot of other entrepreneurs, you know, there's a kind of safe path, so to speak. I was in a in a corporate job before, which is, which, you know, I, I really enjoyed a lot of it. Um, and, you know, I, I think you can kind of, you know, look at, but I always had, you know, the dream of building a company and of starting my own company. And, um, I think this is just really appropriate that like you can't do, you know, something kind of special like building a company or a new product or a new brand unless you like really have, uh, you know, totally, totally lose sight of that kind of, you know, safe foundation. There's no kind of in between. Yeah, yeah, yes, very and very applicable to to entrepreneurship. I mean, um, to a lot of life, actually. You know, um, you know, most things that are meaningful are going to be scary and gonna require some sort of some sort of risk. You know, and so, um, you know, but uh, definitely for for entrepreneurship. Um, well, why don't you? Why don't we do this? Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about your background? Um, so you mentioned you had a corporate job before. Um, you know, what were you doing? Uh, you know, what, what did you go to school for? You know, where'd you grow up? That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll just kind of, you know, start at the beginning um, and, and keep it somewhat brief. Happy to go into more detail. Uh, so I grew up in Northern California in a small town that most people have never heard of called Nevada City. It's about an hour west of Lake Tahoe and about an hour and a half north of Sacramento, kind of in the foothills of the mountains in mm-hmm, Northern mm-hmm. California leading into the Sierra Nevada and just a, a really picturesque, beautiful town. And I, I mentioned that because it was formative for me and that I spent a lot of time outdoors going to the lake and river and skiing, snowboarding up in, up in Tahoe. And so, you know, that was formed that, that I like to be active outdoors, uh, pretty health conscious, um, you know, and being physically active and fit and whatnot. And, uh, so, so grew up up there. And then, uh, after, you know, after high school, went to Pepperdine for undergrad, studied business and, um, you know, really just fell in love with the mechanics of business, everything about business. I think I had, had training from that pretty early. My, my dad has always been into, uh, investing. And likes to tell the story that, that when we were young, we'd go walk, or when I was young, we'd go walk together and he'd be kind of telling me about the bond market and the stock market. So I guess there was a little, <laughs> little, little encouragement, uh, really. Uh, but so study business really fell in love with it. And, uh, then from there went into venture capital, uh, investing in clean tech and alternative energies. Definitely a, a passion point of mine is, uh, alternative energies, climate change, et cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was pretty cool, able to meld, you know, finance with, you know, something that I really believed was was valuable. Uh, and I think one of the biggest 
you know, realizations that I thought was interesting when I, I went and started in the, in the working world was uh, how kind of mechanical uh, things are when you, when you learn in school, uh, you know, they kind of teach you about, you know, macroeconomics and, you know, models and all this kind of stuff. Right. And when I got into the working world, it was just like, it kind of like leave out how important people are and relationships with people. And it's not as mechanical as it, as it sounds like in, uh, in school. Um, and that's been really a theme that I think that they miss in school, or at least they did for me. And, right. uh, and I think it's super important. And it's one of the, the, the best parts of business, right? Is, is the relationships you develop, you know, uh, with your employees, with partners, with, you know, like that's, it's kind of a shame that, that you, you don't actually get a lot of that out of, you know, when they teach business in school. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, you spend, you know, the average person spend whatever, eight to 12 plus hours a day at your job. And, you know, you really do develop relationships. I mean, I've developed lots of relationships, friendships, you know, long-term friendships with people that I've worked with and, uh, you know, continue to. So yeah, absolutely. It's totally one of the joys. I, I, I really value that about, about business. Um, so anyway, from there, <clears throat> then I, uh, went to work for one of the portfolio companies that the firm had invested in the, the partner who brought me in was a, had, had a business career built and sold a company before he started venture capital. And, you know, uh, so they made this investment and he's like, look, like this will be great experience for you. You'll get, uh, not, you know, you can stay with us if you want, but like, I recommend getting some, some on the ground business experience. And so, mm-hmm. so I went and joined uh, this company. It was literally just the, the founder at the time. Um, and I think he had a head engineer and we hired a, uh, a CEO, uh, kind of at the same time that I joined, moved out to Arizona, uh, where the CEO was based. There was really no office or anything for the company at the time. So, so I moved out there, uh, for, you know, just a couple of years fresh out of school, didn't really ask any questions, just did it. And, and it was a phenomenal experience. The CEO was like an incredible mentor, got to be kind of his right hand man. I led sales and marketing, um, literally made the first sale for the company and then we built it up. Uh, to eight figures, sold part of it, licensed part of it. Uh, so I got to see like the arc of a deal uh, from from beginning to end, and then uh, along the way, just you know, did fundraising. I, I patented, I developed a software product, which I patented for these products that we were manufacturing. I mm-hmm. uh, moved to production lines, a small acquisition. Like just learned so much. It was it was really cool. Uh, so what what was the product? So it was a high efficiency smart motor. So it was an electric motor that mm-hmm. used uh, permanent magnets. Uh, that was much more efficient than than the typical product out there and had software integrated into it. So it's kind of a smart motor and, and electric motors are like one of those things that are, you kind of like wouldn't think about, but you know, whatever house or building you're sitting in, I'm sitting in an office building. There's like literally thousands of them here and they're consuming a massive amount of energy. And so it's like a very clear opportunity to, um, to, to reduce energy usage. Got it. Got it. So I'm, I'm very curious about the transition to, to the beverage uh, industry to CPG. So, so yeah, yeah let, once you uh, draw the line uh, to how you ended up uh, with your current company. Yeah. So, um, so after that, I was, you know, looking for kind of the, the next opportunity and uh, my wife and I had gotten, got married at the time. Both of our families are in Southern California. So I uh, was Southern and Northern. And so, I was 
looking to move back to Los Angeles at the time. So I started looking at, at opportunities out here and uh, found a company called The Wonderful Company, um, which I went to work for. Uh, incredible company, uh, uh, privately held CPG company with, with really amazing consumer brands. And so I went to work in the uh, corporate strategy group doing any kind of in-house management consulting. And, you know, I'd had a lot of the kind of roll your sleeves up experience from startup days, but didn't have as much of the formal problem solving, structured problem solving. And, and I was able to get that experience there. I was drawn to the, the opportunity also with my family, my grandparents were in the agriculture industry. And so, uh, I'd always, you know, really had an affinity for, uh, kind of, you know, farm to table type, um, <clears throat> products and, uh, and the company's really about like healthy premium products. So it really aligned with what, you know, my own personal kind of beliefs and <clears throat> products that I consume. So it was a really amazing, <clears throat> excuse me, opportunity. Actually, I think it's about time to uh, crack the hot water here. <laughs> we didn't plan this, I swear. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so did that and then was able to, um, help build the, after, after doing corporate strategy, uh, took an opportunity within the company, uh, <clears throat> running the e-commerce business and, uh, was able to build that up, um, um, many, many times over at the time, uh, during the time that I was there. So I had a really, really fun run, good run there. I think we built it into one of the best in class e-commerce um, kind of groups within within CPG uh, at that time, and just learned a ton. Got to kind of be a GM of that business, and um, yeah, so that was kind of how I got my my CPG experience. And then, you know, really wanted to do something more entrepreneurial, and was ready to get back to that space. It kind of been a you know bit of like an entrepreneur in the company, building up the, the e-com business, but wanted to as I started at the top, you know. Kind of lose sight of the shore and, and, and discover new ocean, so to speak, uh, which was which was building my own company. And my co-founder, a guy named Nick Tranto, uh, we've been hanging out as as just friends in Los Angeles, and we were both kind of commiserating on how we were getting a little older. We were just, you know harder to keep the pounds off. Uh, we loved hanging out with our buddies and and drinking beers and uh, whatnot, but you know wanted to kind of find alternative so we could you know continue to enjoy those occasions but you know something that you know had something that kind of aligned with our uh our health goals and our fitness goals and uh, you know i came to it i was training for a triathlon and mm -hmm. my wife got pregnant and it you know kind of put a spotlight on the fact that that i was the one that was crushing double ipas and you know six packs of uh, beer on the weekend and and that was a little incongruent with my health and fitness goals at the time. And so I started mm -hmm. drinking, you know, LaCroix and just found those to be like not very celebratory or satisfying after you have four or five of them at the office. And then I uh, kind of looked at some of the non-op beers at the time. They didn't taste that great, still super carb and calorie heavy. And Nick had a similar kind of experience. He's a former Marine triathlete. You know, he would say put on 20 pounds, was kind of looking to, uh, you know, get a little healthier. And so we were both kind of on independent paths to the same in the market there just wasn't a product that fit for us and uh so we decided to go create ourselves and that's how hot water was born we really wanted something that was lower no calories lower no carbs it was that great occasion and you know paid homage to our favorite beers uh and then still had some functional reason why um so yeah when we didn't see it we built it 
So is it, is it um, you know, why don't you just describe, I guess, the ingredients a little bit. Um, does it actually have hops in it? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, yeah. yeah, so hop water, uh, so the way that we, so it's a, it's a sparkling water base, and then we infuse it with hop essence. So uh, what we do is we take the hops, we extract the oil, terpenes, essence, uh, we infuse that into a sparkling water base, and then we add our functional stack ingredients, which uh, we use ashwagandha and L-theanine to give a little calm focus and mood boosting benefits. And so it's zero calorie, zero carb, no sugar, uh, but you still get this like great aroma uh, and and you know uh, this bitter kind of um, you know hoppy flavor, uh, citrus forward, pine forward kind of flavor out of it. Got it, got it. Um, so there's a couple different ways that we can take this, but one one of the things that um, that I wanted to kind of lean on on some of your experience, um, you know, uh, in the VC market and um, you know analyzing different different products, um, different businesses. You know, so from from your perspective, right? You see this opportunity. Um, you know, what what were the first steps? You know, let's talk about some of the initial things that that you or the initial steps that you took to kind of validate that this was indeed an opportunity, and to kind of give you some conviction that that you can move forward with this. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So, you know, I think like from just a high level, the the major steps for us, and I can talk about them in more detail. But you know, one wanted to kind of identify and size the market opportunity. So that included a lot of research. Again, I can kind of go back in more detail, but like researching the opportunity, validating the, the product, um, the product opportunity, the market opportunity. Um, okay. Two was, you know, actually formulating the beverage. Uh, and then three was uh, designing the brand um, and, and, you know, creating the brand. So those were, those were some of the like three, you know, major steps. I'm happy to double click into uh, in, in any of those. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's somebody listening now that's, you know, looking at a market, you know, let's talk a little bit about just validate, validating the size of the market opportunity. Um, what, uh, you know, what, what, how did you do that? And, you know, maybe what would you recommend, um, yeah. you know, for somebody in that position? Yeah. So, we did initially, and um, you know, there's lots of different ways to do this. But you know, I mean, getting data on on you know when you start to like go research any kind of market opportunity, right? Like all these reports will come up, and they're like five grand each. So most entrepreneurs like don't want to spend the money to purchase those, and we didn't either. So you know, I think our first step was was simply just building out a a deck for ourselves. Uh, wasn't necessarily to like show investors that could tell the story of the, the market opportunity, what's the size of it, you know, why does this exist, what does the competition look like, um, you know, uh, and who's the customer, those types of things. And so we did that on really like desktop research and then and created that kind of story for ourselves to validate that the opportunity was there and give ourselves conviction that the opportunity was there. You know, from there, we, we did some scrappy survey work uh, and we actually, uh, we spent like a thousand dollars or something and, and did like a, a survey, uh, to validate the different product concepts and see if consumers would be interested in it. And, and that gave us, and, and we'd like look to kind of purchase intent for this type of product. And that gave us even more conviction. And then we did finally, once we actually designed uh, the brand and the, the, you know, concept, we actually did some digital testing to, see 
you know, would consumers actually click on this? Would consumers actually buy this product? Uh, and that gave us kind of further conviction, but that was a little bit further down the road. Sure. Now, did, did you, had you already formulated the product uh, when you decided to do some of that, that initial testing or? Yeah, when we, so when we did the survey work, that was pre-formulating the product. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was actually like in the middle of formulating the product. We had, we had done some, uh, we had done some, some design mockups at the time and we were yeah. still formulating. Uh, and then the digital testing came post-formulating the product. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And, and so this, you know, you, you, you mentioned, you know, kind of putting together this, this, this deck, you know, kind of highlighting the, the market opportunity and, you know, kind of what, where, where the opportunity was uh, for you guys to enter, you know, what was that story for, for hop water? Yeah. Um, I was going back a little ways, but, um, you know, I think we tried to look at it as, again, the deck was really for ourselves, but we really tried sure. to, and I think, you know, looking back at, my experience being in, in VC and, um, you know, was able to kind of look at it through an investor's eyes. And, you know, I think at the, the time, um, it was really that there was like this growing market segment. There's these huge macro trends of, of health and wellness in food and beverage, right? And these trends have been going on for, for many years. This is not uh, a new trend. Um, but, you know, we felt like, there was so so I think you know that was a big part. Just looking at kind of the macro trends, health and sure. wellness. You know, I think when you look at some of the younger consumers these days and their consumption of alcohol, there's uh, you know consumers are, are just are just drinking less, uh, but they're certainly not socializing any less, right? Like uh, hmm. if you look at millennial or Gen Z consumers, are still obviously socializing just as much, and so that created kind of a gap for us where we said okay, there's not as much innovation in this space and the consumer is looking for something new that aligns with their health and wellness um, goals. Um, and that created the first kind of hole in the market for us. Then we looked at, you know, the size of the market and, and looked at a couple different, you know, markets that we thought we could take, take some share from, validated like, yes, large market. We looked at the competitive set. We felt like there was a hole in the market. Um, you know, there's no one's doing the functional aspect. Um, if when you look at, uh, you know, we have, we have, we're in cans, we have flavors, so we have multiple kind of points of differentiation within our uh, product. And when we were looking at the category, we saw that and we said, there's this, there's this, there's this big consumer demand. There is a potentially really large market and there is not the innovation to align with what that consumer is looking for. And, and I think those three pieces together really gave us a lot of conviction that there was a, uh, that there was a big opportunity. Got it. Got it. Um, and so I think this leads right into positioning, right? Um, uh, I wanted to make sure that we, we double clicked on that. Um, you know, so you're looking at a, a functional beverage. Um, it almost seems like it's, you know, you, you mentioned the word celebratory, you know, um, yeah. you, there's, there's an occasion where you would seek out your, your product. Um, you know, what, what are some of the other elements of, of your positioning? Um, uh, and how did you guys think about it back then? And then, and then maybe you could tell us a little bit about how maybe it's changed a little bit since then. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, so we're, we're really kind of like a beer adjacent, um, uh, product. And I think for that occasion, you know, every occasion and, and frankly more, uh, that you would enjoy a beer, uh, you can enjoy a hot water. And, you know, we, we talked about it in the early days as kind of your Sunday through Thursday beverage. So 
you know, enjoy, enjoy some beers on the weekend or, or cocktails, whatever you like to wine, whatever you like to drink. Um, but during the week, you know, as you're, you know, busy with your family or work, you got a early meeting, et cetera, once they super sharp, uh, you can enjoy a hot water and you don't have to miss out on, uh, sort of that opportunity. So really like when we first launched one of our ads was, was your new 5 PM. Uh, and I think that positioning is, has remained and it is really key. You know, one of the things I think that just to answer your question about how it's evolved, you know, we're, we're not, I mean, I, I enjoy craft beer. Um, so, uh, and we have a lot of consumers that are completely sober. We, we love and welcome those consumers. We have consumers that are, that are sober curious. Uh, and mm-hmm. we have consumers that, that just, you know, want to moderate a little bit. And so I think that last moderation one has become, you know, a, a really huge, uh, opportunity. We see that as uh, one of the top usage occasions for a product. So consumers will have a couple alcoholic drinks, uh, and then they'll have a couple hot waters. And that allows them to kind of extend the evening. There's a great stat out there that almost 60% of consumers are switching between full strength and uh, no and low uh, strength alcohol in the same occasion. Uh, so that's just like a massive opportunity. You know, we're not just talking about a small subset of consumers that have uh, decided not to drink anymore, which is, which is you know, a, a nice consumer set too, but... But this huge set of consumers that are just looking to moderate, and we see that as, as a massive opportunity. We've, we've uh, coined the um, tagline "Hops for All," and you know we think that really well encompasses this kind of messaging of, of inclusivity. Again, you know, sober, sober curious, like to drink, just want to moderate, etc. Like a hop water fits into your your routine. So it sounds like a, a lot of your positioning came from, um, you know, just your stage in life and some of the experiences that you, that you were uh, having at the time. Um, did you guys um, kind of lean on on any other data points in order to to get to that positioning? You know, I mean, we did a bunch of research, um, but I would say, and we definitely had some some additional data points. But look, I would say in like the early days of, you know, formulating a company like you just kind of have to use a lot of intuition you know there's we definitely had data points but it's really tough to get like a full story because you just don't have access to the data you don't have the money to spend on buying the data so i'd say we had like uh you know a scatter plot of data and we just kind of had to use our our intuition and and in the early days, you know, we formulated this product for ourselves. Like we saw both Nick and I wanted this product in the world and mm-hmm. we didn't see it. And so, you know, that was kind of fortunate. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are that way, right? You like discover a hole in the market because you actually or, or one of your family members or something wants the product versus like at a big company where you kind of are looking at the, the data, the trend lines, et cetera. But like the people that are working on it, they may or may not be that target consumer. So. You kind of have to right. rely a lot more heavily on data. So we were we were able to again we're we're definitely data driven, but like we're able to you know rely on hey what do we want out of this uh, out of this product? I think one of the cool things that we've seen is that you know Nick and I are two two bros that live in Southern California. I'm being a little bit facetious, but you know we're two guys in <laughs> Southern California, right? We like kind of formulated originally because we thought hey craft beer drinkers like us are going to like this product. And, and that is true. But what we've seen is that there's like a much bigger mainstream consumer. We're actually more than 50% female, uh, in our consumer set. And so, um, you know, it's pretty cool to see that, 
it, it wasn't just kind of, you know, surfer guys in LA that, that liked the product, but have a larger consumer set. Sure. Sure. And, and one of the tough things about positioning is, you know, you might have an intuition for it. Um, you might start, you know, it's almost like you're, you're, um, iterating and sort of pivoting and pivoting and pivoting towards it, you know, as you, as you try to nail your positioning, especially in the early days, um, you mentioned the the new 5 PM. Is that what, is that, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I look on your website, the, the sip of summer, uh, the sip of the summer. Right. And yeah. it's sort of like this, this idea of, of, of relaxing and, you know, kind of kicking back. Um, I, I'm curious if there are any lessons uh, about learning how to communicate your positioning. Um, you know, to your audience, but then also maybe to any investors or any stakeholders, you know, how, how did you, uh, did you learn um, anything? Did it change in any way? Um, it, sometimes that's kind of a tricky part is you have an intuition, but it's, it's tough to like get the words, you know, to yeah, actually yeah. communicate it. Yeah. I think in the, uh, in the words, that's definitely been something that's evolved over time. And we have an incredible marketing team that, you know, has been able to, uh, to evolve that kind of over time, you know, I talked about like the hop sprawl, uh, you know, that, that was a tagline that we launched later. You know, I think mm-hmm. our, our initial positioning and our intuition around positioning was right. Um, and, uh, so, so I don't think we've, we've changed that over time, but to your point, what we have evolved is how we talk about it. And, you know, I think for, for any entrepreneurs out there, you know, you, you have to, and it's true for us, you know, you have to understand that like, your brand over time is going to evolve and change. And so you constantly have to look at the consumer feedback, the data, and we do all the time. You know, we look at our, our social media data. We look at what's working, what's not working, which ads are working, which ads are not working. We try to, you know, we take insights from that. We survey, survey our consumers. We talk to our consumers. I love talking to our consumers. I get so many insights from that. So, you know, we take all of those pieces of data and, uh, put those together and, and have definitely evolved our, the way that we kind of message, um, you know, the product over, over time. Uh, but the actual positioning, I think, has stayed pretty consistent. Yeah. And, and your, your brand's obviously had some success with, um, you know, distribution through retailers, big box stores, um, that, that kind of thing. Um, you know, just keeping in line with this conversation about positioning, of course, you got to position it to your customers, but how did you position it to the retailers to convince, to convince them to carry you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, great question. I mean, I think, you know, using that data that we had, and, you know, as we launched and we're able to continue to build the brand, we're able to get, you know, more insights and data, you know, as to the category trends. But, you know, I think to that point, just like you would share with an investor, you know, why they should invest in your brand, you have to, you know, share with the retailer. I mean, does anyone in this, this uh, space knows there's really three customers that you're selling to as a, CPG brand, right? You're selling to the distributor, you're selling to the retailer, and you're selling to the actual consumer. And so, and, and that messaging varies uh, for each of those or what they're interested in varies for each of those. And I think for the for the retailer, it's really about telling the category and consumer growth opportunity. You know, retailers, of course, want to have products that that their consumers are interested in. They want to be on the on the forefront uh, and provide provide that selection. And so, you know, I think we we focused a lot of time on understanding those consumer trends and being able to communicate those effectively to the retailer. And so, you know, okay, how big is the category? How fast is it growing? Why does this product align with where consumer trends are going? You know, how big of 
a portion of the category should this be where should it sit in your category so uh, you know we did a lot of work around that to to make sure we, we could we didn't make the retailers job too hard and tried to do the work for them so that it was an easy yes okay yeah i got it um and then coming from uh sort of the the vc background did you guys seek investment right away or did you try to bootstrap this no we um we did i mean you know we funded the company ourselves uh to start uh to get to at least a you know kind of proof of concept and then we uh and we launched it you know we sort of quote unquote bootstrapped it to to launch the company mm-hmm. uh, and what we saw when we launched it was there was just incredible success right away and it was you know to your kind of question earlier there's all these like points in the journey where you're kind of gaining conviction, you know? And I think like for us and I think for a lot, but, but certainly for us, it wasn't, there was, there was definitely an, an aha moment in the very beginning, right. That like gave us the conviction that there was an opportunity here, but then as we're building it, we, we continued to try to strengthen that, that conviction. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and when we launched online, we launched in 2020 and so online was really the only place to launch at that time you know we just saw like an immediate spike like we turned it on and we sold out of our first production run right away i can remember that when we were, we were producing the product i think we we like cut the run in half or something because we thought it was or we spaced it into two different runs because we were like oh wow this is a lot of cans it was like it was like thousands of cans it wasn't that many you know like right. not in hindsight but at the time it was a lot it was money out of our own pocket and, and we like sold out of it right away and they were like oh okay now we need like produce more like tomorrow and so uh so when we saw that just to answer your question you know when we saw that traction right away it was another huge like conviction gaining moment and we said we ought to move fast here, and so we went and raised some friends and family uh, funding, um, and then raised from a, a couple uh, early stage kind of VCs uh, to uh, to make sure we had enough uh, fuel to to grow the brand. Okay, got it. Um, and one of the challenges, obviously, of of doing a beverage online is just shipping costs. How did you guys think about that, and and I guess uh, how do you think about it today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the transportation, not only online, but in, in retail and transportation, the continual, you know, area that we, we think about a lot. Uh, there's been huge inflation in, in that area of the market. Um, so, you know, I think I don't want to give too much of my secret sauce away on shipping, <laughs> but uh, I was lucky to have a lot of experience with online and selling beverages and how to you know, do that efficiently or as efficiently as possible. So, uh, you know, we, we've, uh, I think we've got a pretty, pretty good setup and I would, I would venture to say one of the best in the industry in terms of, you know, how we're uh, handling the logistics of our online business. And, uh, you know, what, what percentage do you think of your business is, is, you know, direct to consumer, um, online, uh, versus retail? Yeah. You know, I, we have a, we have a pretty strong, uh, you know, percentage of our, of our business, um, but our, our, we're rapidly sort of growing retail. They're, they're about, um, equal, uh, today. Um, okay. you know, in the, in the early days, it was, it was a lot of direct consumer. That was how we initially, you know, built the business, but the retail business is up hundreds and hundreds of percent year over year. Uh, and it's just absolutely on fire. So, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna quickly be the, the majority of the business. 
Got it. Yeah. And as we get, you know, close to wrapping here, I mean, why don't you just tell us a little bit about where people can find you, you know, what, which um, outlets are you in? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the question. So, uh, you know, we're, we're available uh, in, in most states, uh, we're in about 35 states nationwide. Um, some of our key retailers, you get us in the Northeast at Wegmans, they've been an amazing chain that we, we launched in this year. Uh, HEB and Kroger down in Texas, uh, out here in California. Uh, Ralph's, we just launched our full line and, uh, our, and our new peach skew, uh, in Gelson's. You can get us in, in, in many of other, the other natural food, uh, and conventional grocers. Uh, we're also available, uh, in many packaged liquor accounts, total wine, Bevmo. I get us nationwide through GoPuff, uh, as well as obviously through our own website and through Amazon. Yeah, got it. And then uh, I want you to tell us the website. Yeah, so it's uh, hopwater, H-O-P-W-T-R.com. Okay, and then you've got a store locator on there. And so we do, yes. Find yep. something close. Um, so uh, one of the, the, the questions that, that I did want to ask you is just, um, you know, we're we're in August right now, we're... I can't believe we're getting to the end of August, you know, um, you know, and we're kind of looking at, uh, you know, summer winding down a little bit. I'm curious about, you know, what the rest of the year looks like for hop water and, and what you guys have coming up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're building the brand rapidly. The summer has been absolutely incredible. We're seeing huge growth. We just launched our peach skew, which is our newest flavor. It's absolutely delicious. Of course, really great for summer. Um, but of course, year round, and we still have a couple more months of hot weather to enjoy it. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, so that's a, a, a fun one. Uh, and then we've got sober October coming up in uh, in just uh, uh, you know two months here. So that's a huge occasion for all of the non-out products. So look for us in retailers uh, around you. And then of course, dry January, which is a massive opportunity for all of the non-alcohol. So, you know, we're really forward looking is continuing to build the business every day uh, and, and continue to harness this uh, rapid growth, both growth in the brand as well as the larger category in the industry. Okay. Awesome. So just uh, four quick questions for you, quick fire rounds. Um, what's one tool or resource uh, that you could recommend? I, I'm certainly, I, from a tool standpoint, I'm a big advocate of to-do lists and calendaring. So, uh, I've got a pretty simple spreadsheet that I use. I've got the app uh, for it on my phone and I'm constantly like jotting those items down. And then I take those items and then at the beginning of each week, usually on Sunday to try to get a jump on the week, I calendar all of my uh, things that I need to accomplish, not just meetings, but like basically appointments for myself, for my calendar. And I recommend everyone do that. Okay. Got it. Uh, what's a book that you can recommend to the audience? Um, I actually just mentioned this the other day, Principles by Ray Dalio. I love that book. All of the stuff Ray Dalio writes is amazing. And that's a really good one. Yeah. I, I like following his, uh, you know, he, he, he gives talks and stuff. Uh, and so you can find a bunch of his stuff on, on YouTube, you know, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I follow him as well. Um, what's uh, one piece of advice that you'd give your 21 year old self? That's a good one. Probably, uh, you know, just to just start moving forward, especially in the entrepreneurial game. You know, I think it's uh, I see a lot of entrepreneurs, and I think I was guilty of it at the time, doing a little too much planning and uh, not enough just taking the next step. So I would say just take the next step. Yeah. On that note, I mean, you you got a little bit of experience, you know, before you you went out on your own. Well, would you recommend that path to to people as well? 
Yeah, look, in hindsight, for me, it was great. I mean, it definitely de-risked the proposition uh, for me. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I'm, it, it gave me the experience set to be able to, like, dive right in and, you know, avoid a lot of, avoid a lot of mistakes I think I would have made at the time. Um, so, uh, you know, for me, it was a great path. I'm, I'm glad I gained that experience. You know, when you look at some of the most, like, successful entrepreneurs and investors out there, a, a lot of it's because they started really early. And so depending on what your ambitions are, uh, there is definitely a time factor. If you start earlier, you've got more time to learn and fail and, and accomplish. Got it. Um, and then last question, um, who is uh, one person in your field of work or maybe you know somebody who has a, another brand that you admire and kind of watch? Um, you know, who's somebody that you'd love to take to lunch? Who's someone I'd love to take to lunch? That's a good one. Uh, Yvonne Chenard from uh, Patagonia. Uh, I, that guy's, you know, an incredible, um, he's incredibly focused on his vision and they're so contrarian. It's, uh, it's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And he's come up a, a few times on, on the podcast, um, nice. but yeah, great entrepreneur. Um, another well, one, uh, another one I would, another one I would like to, and this is also another book that I would recommend is. Uh, ben Horowitz uh, from Andreessen Horowitz, and he's, mm-hmm. he wrote the book "The Hard Thing About Hard Things." I think for any entrepreneur, that is like uh, incredible um, sort of you know um, manuscript to basically follow. <laughs> and it's also it's a it's a fun read too. You know, like he, he's just got a great personality, and just the way he explains things is is awesome. So yeah, he's like a student of business too. He's like so mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so just, uh, wrapping up here, you know, um, just give, give us some parting advice, you know, for other, uh, um, entrepreneurs out there, other people in the CPG industry, you know, what, uh, what would your parting advice be? I'd say take the next step and have fun. Uh, you definitely need to enjoy the ride. A uh, lot of hard work, but, uh, it's super rewarding. If and anyone out there that's thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, uh, I can say it's, it's hard, but it's one of the most rewarding uh, things that I've ever done outside maybe of having kids. Awesome. Jordan, hey, appreciate it. Um, you've been a great guest on here, and uh, we look forward to talking with you a little bit more and, and watching the success of your company. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, appreciate you having me. It's been fun. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle, and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for physical product movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening. Hey everyone, my name is Taylor Howe and I'm the marketing manager here at Fiddle. I want to jump on real quick to tell you about an incredible free resource that we put together for CPG brands. It's called Fiddle Connect. It's a curated database of over 3,000 co-packers and suppliers. You'll get websites, phone numbers, locations, categories, and more, all in one place. It's a must-have for any CPG brand, especially in the food, beverage, or nutraceutical space. And again, it's 100% free. To get immediate access, just go to fiddle.io forward slash connect.
We are constantly updating the database and we promise you're going to love it. It'll save you time and headaches by helping you get to suppliers and co-packers faster than ever. So again, just go to fiddle.io forward slash connect to get free access today.